Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Good morning, Philip. Today, I will be speaking to Philip Burnett, uh, the CISO of, um, of a company called Highwire Network. Uh, and, you know, based on my uh, research, Philip, I, I see that uh, you've been in the, in a, in a, I don't know if it's a couple of companies in the health space or just a single one that changed branding. But uh, I see that's where you held your uh, first um, um, leadership role with uh, information security and cyber. And that was before you moved into your current role, I believe, uh, at Highwire Network. Um, is that correct so far? Uh, well, yeah, kind of. Uh, my, my early career was with the government where I dealt with some of the HIPAA regulations uh, inside the government. And then I worked for Delta Dental in Michigan for five and a half years. I was their IT security manager. So for them, uh, I did the HIPAA stuff, but mostly through dental, uh, but it's still PHI, right? Yeah. But yeah, pretty much. And then the CISO role was at Accretive Health R1 in Chicago. And uh, then a couple of jobs since then. Okay. And thank you for that. Um, so, so yeah, maybe, and, 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 you know, I always like to start uh, our interview with a couple of icebreaker questions just to, for our audience to, to get to know you better. Uh, if, to, if you can share, uh, you know, just a couple of, a um, couple bits of information, maybe your marital status and your favorite drink, that would be great. Sure. Uh, yeah, I've been married uh, to this beautiful Japanese lady that I met when I was stationed in, in uh, Japan. Been married a long time. Uh, I have a, one son with her. And uh, my favorite drink uh, during the work week has got to be coffee. Got to <laughs> caffeinate, right? Uh, when I took my SANS courses, they always said caffeinate, caffeinate, gets the brain going, right? And then on the weekends, maybe a occasional glass of wine or a beer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think coffee is basically like you know, it's 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 the the most uh, common commodity I think out there, right? Everybody needs to get caffeinated. Well, probably with the exception of my wife, she doesn't drink coffee, oh, wow. but uh, yeah, okay. you can get you can start you there without it, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, and thank you again for making the time uh, out of your busy calendar and joining me. I know you've had a long be- weekend and busy weekend. Now with the, you know, we, we just uh, wrapped up uh, Labor Weekend here in the U.S. Um, so so thanks again. Uh, let's dive right in. If there was one thing you wish you'd known about your career before it began, what would that be? Um, I wish I knew the IPO for Amazon. <laughs> what what the price was, I could have bought that and then retired. I can be talking to you from a yacht. Uh, but seriously, um, I, I think uh, what I wish I knew back in the day when I started was how valuable diversity skills in education and work verticals are. Uh, I think that everybody starting in the information security or an IT um, career should focus really on, on, on 
the major verticals, let's say financial, some is healthcare, maybe uh, an MSP where you can see how the work is done on the backside of that, as well as, you know, sales and, and forecasting and all the monetary stuff that goes with it. But I, I think that uh, if, you, if you focus on just one vertical, it limits you sometimes on what you have to protect because the bad guys come from all angles and they target different things, different ways. So if you've been in manufacturing, if you've been in healthcare, you've been in finance, different threats approach you. So uh, you're, you're able to, to be ready, I think, to understand where, because they're going after data, right? So everybody hides their data in different spots in different places. So if you're aware of that, then you, you have a real good opportunity to catch them because the idea is to catch them quick, right? And get them out. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting insight. You know, you mentioned uh, they target different things, different ways. Um, so just trying to extrapolate to like, like analyze what you just said. So basically you're saying that in, in your uh, experience and in your opinion, like malicious hackers might target financial information differently than they would like PHI or PII then? Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. um, because they're different types of data and they're structured different ways and you have unstructured and structured data. So for in email or even now with the last databases, you, you have to figure out how to get in there and extrapolate, pull what it is. And the bad guys have to figure out you know, where the target is, what it looks like, and be able to get out of there quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And PHI is, is something that's it's a lot of data, right? You figure it has all your birth records, your treatment records, all, all the different things along with the financials. So the, the better idea you have on what the scope and scale of the data you're protecting based on the vertical that you're in at the moment, uh, it, be it better prepares you to defend it and protect it. Yeah, and, and I believe with PHI, specifically with medical records as well, you have all kinds of other devices within your ecosystem that might be transmitting, analyzing, and processing information, right, and data. So, and, and that's not uh, typically the case with, like, the, the financial networks as well. So, like, if you consider credit card uh, information, you know, they have a certain flow there which is not the same as the, as, as the PHI or specifically the medical records. So, yeah, I just wanted to add some color to, to that answer. Thank you. Um, considering your career so far, what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn out of it? Well, I started, uh, like I said, in the military and then I worked for a military contractor doing security and things. And I focused a lot on learning the job and I did education just kind of hit and miss. Uh, I, I wound up getting a couple of master's degrees over the, the course of uh, several years. I wished at the time, now I wish now at the time I'd have continued to finish the PhD because the PhD would give you the availability to open doors for things later on in life. Like right now I'm looking for opportunities maybe to speak like on this, this call or uh, at conferences and things. And if you have somebody that uh, you can draw more people to because you have a PhD, that just means that you've done the research, you've done the legwork. It kind of gives lends credibility. So I, I finished halfway through it and I focused more on family and, and career. And when I tried to go back, it was just so much extra effort to research and send out surveys and things. So I, I wish when I was, uh, you know, a few years back, I wish I'd a stuck to it and, and finished the PhD. That would just been a, a personal goal that, that I feel like I missed on. Well, I mean, 
it's never too late, right? If you really want it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. But you know, when you get into the senior part of your career, and I'm, I, you know, I'm about ten years away from retirement, I think, and you, you think, well, what's the demand for that now? Where uh, when you're in your twenties, thirties, uh, maybe mid thirties or whatever. You, you, you like that travel and you like to be out there on stage and doing all those things where at the stage of my career now I'm mentoring more and I need to be home more to, to mentor the people that I'm working with and developing local networks and sharing with other CISOs in the area more than presenting and doing things that the PhD would have allowed me to do. Got it. Okay. And having touched on what you personally consider as your biggest failure, although, you know, not attaining a PhD might be a good problem to have. Uh, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Well, I, I thought about this uh, a little bit, and I, I think one of the things that, that I did that, that I even surprised myself was early on in the, uh, in the day when uh, a couple of endpoint solutions came out, Carbon Black and Bit9, uh, you know, that by name, because they're, they're out there now. Um, I, I was working uh, for a manufacturing company, uh, global company, and was able to work with the engineers and my team. And we deployed 90,000 endpoints in just about 120 days. That means deploy them, set them up, get them all rigged, get them all going and reporting home and protecting the environment in 120 days. And for 90,000 endpoints in, in regions all around the world, that includes South America, Asia, uh, EMEA, you know, Europe and, and North Africa and everywhere. That uh, was a lot. You got factories, you have distribution points, all the things we got it deployed to all of those in 120 days and, and working effectively. So I thought that, that was a pretty good from a technical uh, achievement that I did, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like a, a huge logistical operation. And, you know, Looking back in, in your resume, and you mentioned you started your career in the military before moving on to the civilian world uh, and owning a few leadership roles. What, what type of advice would you give someone that wants to uh, pursue a career similar to yours? Uh, like I mentioned with the PhD, get the education done first, the formal education. What people miss is that formal education gives you the critical thinking skills. How do you analyze a problem from a logical perspective? Once you have that down, then you use the technical skills like the vendor training and all the different EDRs and SIM tools and, and scripting and those kind of things. You can use those based on the thought processes and, and the evidence you, uh, you, you, you derive from your critical thinking skills, right? Mm -hmm. You ask why, uh, you know, the, the five why things for, uh, uh, for root cause analysis, right? You ask why five times do we finally get to really what caused the problem? Well, if you didn't know that process or you didn't know how to analyze a problem effectively, then you spend a lot of time searching and grasping at straws where the critical uh, thinking skills would uh, bring it down to a manageable size. And then you could apply your, your technical skills to that with scripts, analyzing the data, looking at source destination threat vectors, all the intelligence that's out there, apply that to your machine learning and you get a lot closer to, to answering and fixing that uh, problem uh, and, and solving the solution and be able to move on to the next one. Because as a CISO, you don't just have one problem, right? You have many problems, many solutions that need to be uh, derived, many conversations, 
uh, confidence building for your mentoring. And there's a lot going on. So you, you need to have a logical methodology to deliver. Yeah. Uh, and would you recommend any, any specific uh, academic uh, course or route then? Sure. I would, I would always recommend for an IT security person to, if they wanted a career in cyber, to always go after your, uh, the engineering angle. So design, architecting, fundamentals, how do the systems talk to each other? Understanding how they talk to each other, what normal communication looks like, allows you as a cyber hunter uh, in the early part of your career, you spend that on threat hunting, is looking for what's not normal, right? And be able to answer and explain what that is. If you can't explain it, then you better lock it and block it down because pretty soon it's going to pop up and be ugly. So I would stick with the engineering, stick with understanding, and by all means, whatever you do, learn PowerShell, scripting, and, and, and uh, you know, pick another one, Python or something to go along with it. But PowerShell, because Windows is everywhere, and PowerShell is the key to finding and, and parsing data through Windows logs. Okay, thank you. And, and that's an interesting uh, interesting. Um... Response. I wouldn't say it's uh, you know completely aligned with my research so far. I I, I think the majority of uh, leaders that I've spoken to in in our space in the cyberspace are not pro formal education, but uh, I certainly for one do appreciate the, the merits of it. I mean, for me, it did contribute to, to me. I mean, I, I didn't you know go all the way to MA or or to PhD. I just did my my BA, but uh, definitely you know the critical thinking part and you know, the skills that you, that you're able to collect along the way. And uh, the thinking process is definitely something that for me personally, it contributed. So, uh, so thanks for that. Um, what, what would you, what are your feelings about uh, the role of the CISO that's actually a part of the IT organizations? Um, I, I think that the CISO needs to be included more in the inner circle of the infrastructure uh, program at a company, right? A lot of times you have a divide between infrastructure and security or databases and security and all that because people look at the security team, which is headed by the CISO usually, as like the police force looking for things that are not in compliance essentially to answer to the compliance officer. So if you could get with the, C the CISO and work with them um, and, and let them know what the things are they're doing. Like if I make a policy, for example, I would really like to understand an in infrastructure, what the impact was to the, the engineer who's working a night shift in the data center. If I set up a policy or something that makes his life, you know, extremely difficult, then I, they need feedback to the CISO on, is that really the right approach? Can it be handled another way? So if, if you, you can't defend what you don't understand. So the, the point of um, the, the CISO needs to understand the successes and the struggles related to delivering what they're asking for, which is trust and, and system uh, stability. And remember that security people are looking for security issues. Infrastructure like developers are looking for uptime delivery. The more the systems need to be up and delivering and working and, and producing and, and no no lags in response, et cetera. Well, in security, that, that's a concern, but it's way down compared to identity and access, for example, or, or another type of event because the door is at the firewall, right? 
But we need to understand that if you have somebody that, that has to look at the firewall rules every 12 hours, that's a lot of work, right? I mean, that's why they put them in and use automated tools to analyze the rules. So, yeah, I think working closely with the leadership and infrastructure really is something the CISOs, we need to do better. Okay, but do you think that uh, the CISO should report to the IT organization? No. I think the CISO should report directly to the CEO and should have a seat at the table uh, at the, in the boardroom. If not permanently, they should be invited there periodically when it's issues of risk and security because risk management is integral into the CISO's role. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Um, uh, now, would you uh, describe yourself as a self-learner? I know you, you you, you've spoken about, you know, your time in, in the academia, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, being a CISO and working in, in this space that you had to learn by yourself for the, for the major part of your career. Would you describe yourself as a self-learner? Yes. Uh, like, for example, right now, I'm taking three classes right now just to keep up with technology. I'm learning more about micro-segmentation, things that in networks that I hadn't paid attention in a while. Also looking at the, uh, the MITRE framework. Uh, we're in the process of shifting from the, the kill chain to the MITRE, and we're trying to figure out what the synergies are, what availability, what, what other data does it, does it provide for me? And then on the side, I'm, I'm doing other stuff, uh, just you know, things that I enjoy in the industry, uh, working with uh, fishing, uh, looking at, at how the fishing industry, and I mean cyber fishing and not not catching salmon, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got three of those going on right now to, to keep myself uh, uh, connected, I think, and also excited because I, I get excitement out of learning something new. And then when I can see it out in the world and know that it's providing value, or if it's something that helps me make a better decision, then... Uh, you know, more informed. I think being informed as a CISO every single minute of every day, you have to be informed and ready to, to make risk-based decisions. Okay. And what would you say are the best resources that have helped you along the way with your, you know, quest? Uh, it, you know, it could be tied up to learning, but it could be tied up to any, any other aspect in your career. I think colleagues, coworkers, uh, you have to really understand how to network and how to reach out to people and have a trust network where you could talk to people. Uh, a lot of times as a CISO, maybe you can't talk directly to your CEO about some concerns you have, where you have a buddy who's another CISO at another company, and you can talk to them about, you know, generalize, right? What, not, not specific to divulge company secrets, et cetera, but how would you handle situation X, Y, or Z? Get in a, a perspective because everybody has a different background, right? So I think colleagues and coworkers is, is invaluable. Um, from a tools perspective, I think you need, you need a SIM. Everybody needs some kind of information management hub of some sort. Uh, we have XDRs, we have all the, you know, the IBMs and everybody else in the world out there uh, providing some sort of log management or some kind of correlation engine. You need to have something like we use an XDR and you need to have it, understand it and, and be able to be conversant to understand what it's telling you. So I think those are the things that, uh, um, that, that work for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and was there any uh, common myths about our profession or, uh, that you wanted to debunk? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, uh, I was thinking about this a little bit saying, you know, what, what is something that I hear off the most often? 
And I think it's the password argument, right? Do we need passwords? Do we not need passwords? Do you need long ones, short ones, all the upper, lower, complex, whatever, right? And 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 uh, over you know the past few months, I've had uh, a conversation with our CTO. We have a peer relationship, and uh, I've always been a guy that said I'd rather have long comp- uh, long passwords than short complex. And I was able to pull up a couple of NIST and FBI documents because we're both members of InfraGuard. And we talked about some of the things and articles that they had in there about it's it's better to have a, um, you know, a 32 to 64 character password uh, than to have an eight or, or 10 or 12 that's complex. And the reason that they state was interesting was it's hard for people to remember the password. That seems to be where the problem is. It's not is the password can it be cracked? Because we know we got, you know, mega computers out there, you know, that they can do the work over X number of thousand years or whatever it is. But the problem is people forgetting it. So they write it down or they post it somewhere or they do something that they shouldn't do or they use the same password on multiple uh, systems. Right. Because it's just hard. So what I used to teach the, the people in, uh, in the health industry was find a password that's short and complex and just double it. So, for example, you could say, you know, Mickey, Mickey Mouse, one, two, three, 10 or something. Double that Mickey Mouse, one, two, three, 10. And that becomes long. And when it's hashed, it's difficult to crack, but it's easy to remember, uh, you know, so past phrases, diverse words and things. So use use theories and things to to make the password easy for you to remember, but tough for a machine to figure out. Yeah, and let's just hope uh, you don't experience the DDoS attack right now with Mickey Mouse uh, one two three ten double that <laughs> on your network. That's right. <laughs> well, you know our, our systems look for Mickey Mouse, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say are the main concerns CISOs nowadays have, in your opinion? And it doesn't have to be related specifically to your current role or to your current company. Sure. Um, I think that some of my peers and I agree that what we need to to stress often to um, our teams are don't get complacent. Don't think just because you're a trained a security expert that you won't be a target. There are phishing emails out there that are really, really good. They, they sometimes people click on links and do things that they shouldn't do. The biggest thing I, I want to remind people is, is that if you do, tell somebody, don't be afraid. It's much worse if, if you try to hide it. So if you, if you, you get an email from somebody and you're expecting an email from that person and they've been hacked and you didn't know it and you click on a link and then all of a sudden you realize your computer's misbehaving or access to something uh, is going on, then you need to be able to understand, I got to notify security. I got to tell somebody so they can start working on it right now. And the idea is to isolate, right? So that would be to change your password, work on your credentials that have been hacked, but also you have fiduciary responsibility. Anybody in your in your email box could be partners, customers, whoever, right? Hey, look for this, this phishing. This guy's really good and get it out there. So advertise, let people know. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. If you did it, be better next time. Figure out what you did wrong how you would have notified or, or noticed it. Sometimes it can be, you know, a perfect domain and it's brand new. And unless you're looking in a SIM, you don't know it's a new domain. And if you do a virus total or something, it'll come back saying, hey, this is a good domain. It's new, right? So a little bit of caution because it's new, but they can get you. Anybody can get got at some point. 
I know it's not good grammar, but you can be had, right? Mm -hmm. If it's the right one crafted the right way at the right moment, you can be had. Okay. So it, to paraphrase, um, your take is the, the main concern that CISOs nowadays have or should have is around uh, um, the execution of phishing attacks, uh, manipulating uh, basically people to uh, to steal their, their to steal their credentials. So uh, w with the purpose of gaining access, that's that's the main concern that you're seeing in this space. Sure, business email compromise (BEC), right? That's what they're going after. They got to get in somehow. And they're using crafty stuff like phishing to be able to do that. So that's why uh, I start with that, man. So emails out there. It's all over the world. Your business cards are everywhere. When you're out, you're meeting people, you register for conferences, you do webinars, your information's out there. People know who the people are. And it's just a matter of time when they, the bad guys find you and try to uh, trick you. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just a follow-up question on that. Are there any other areas of concern that uh, you feel CISOs should be most focused on right now? Uh, I think retention. There are a lot of jobs out there and a lot of people dangling a lot of money. So you need to get your people to understand that there's more to life than money. Money is important. Don't get me wrong. Everybody wants a good paycheck and wants to be well rewarded. But having a team that has worked together for a period of time is almost priceless because they get to a point where they understand how each other responds and thinks and they're able to anticipate. And then when during a crisis, they, they are able to handle the pressure well. So I think maintaining te your team integrity, doing whatever it takes uh, within reason uh, to, to pay your people appropriately and, and reward them appropriate, uh, appropriately. I mean, we give out spot awards. We, we do things like that off the cuff. And every month we have the team submit silent uh, suggestions on who that person is. And then me and the rest of the executives pull out the names and we're able to give them uh, some kind of spot award. So things like that, just to keep it exciting, but also to make sure publicly you, you recognize people for good work. The guy that stayed late on a Friday night analyzing a, a particular event that, that was peculiar um, should get noted saying, hey, man, that was good work sticking around, making sure that our customers are safe. So things like that, just making people feel appreciated, rewarded and, and, and wanted and needed. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, in your opinion, what are the most important skills CISOs should have? Right now, I think the, the challenges that I see in the industry are new technology, right? I mean, just a few years ago, nobody knew what XDR was, right? Now open XDR. Next thing you're going to talk about is micro-segmentation, air gapping, um, other advances in technology, uh, elastic databases, and, and all the ways that that's different than the, the old tried and true back in the day when you had SQL or another database type, right? So keeping up with new technology and um, that, I mean, New technology, I think, is because if you if you don't have a proper vetting process for new technology, um, some people can take shortcuts. Some companies, vendors, for example, can deliver a product that has inherent weaknesses in it. I mean, look what happened with solar winds, right? For years and years, it had weaknesses in it that nobody knew about. Uh, we have zero days all the time happening out there, and basically, it's an application flaw. 
for how many years have we been debugging Microsoft so uh, software, right? Every Microsoft Tuesday, you got to fix something, right? And, and, and Adobe, same thing, right? So be aware of new technologies, be aware of new threats, keep your eye out for those TLP whites coming out saying, hey, patch now. <laughs> you know, there, there's a reason that the things are not working as they should. And the bad guys are all using automation. I mean, the bad guys are going to use, they're already using AI and ML to target people, right? The machine is getting smarter and it's being turned loose like a mechanical bull, you know, go get it. <laughs> so stay yeah. on top of what the technology is and how, what it looks like. What does normal look like? I think keeping that in your mind is critical. Yeah, that's easier said than done, though. You know, keeping up yeah. with technology is uh, very difficult. But uh, yeah, I agree. Um, in your opinion, where's the CISO role going? You know, if if we look back like 15 or even 10 years back, um, the CISO role looked uh, slightly different or a lot different than what it is today. I mean, and you mentioned that you, you feel that the CISO should report directly to the CEO. I mean... I wouldn't say it was unheard of 15 years ago, but I think to some extent, the majority of companies did not have a CISO as you know, like a C-level executive. Would you agree with that or not? Well, I, I agree that that's how it was. I think now it should be. In my organization, I am in, uh, at the C-level with the CTO, CFO, CEO, and COO. We're all peers and we all meet every Monday morning for a, a a quick uh, you know, executive meeting, talking strategy, finance, whatever it is, compare metrics, uh, talk about issues that, that affect one or all of us. So I think um, being at the C-level, the CISO, being able to speak competently and confidently about the industry and, and what we're doing to defend us uh, impacts the rest of the company. So I think being at the big tables where the CISO needs to be, um, I, I think sometimes having the CISO to re report to another um, individual, like say uh, infrastructure or the CIO, there's a conflict of interest because there's a different need and a different report, right? The, like say the infrastructure SVP or EVP, whatever he is, um, has, has a delivery timeline and an uptime and, and reducing cost where, um, you know, the, the CISO's thing is you, you gotta be cost conscious but you can't um, let money be the deciding factor of what you're trying to do. You're trying to protect the organization. You save money. You're a cost-saving entity by reducing breaches. <laughs> breaches are really expensive. So if you can stop one, then uh, that, that pays a lot of back to the company. And that's through education and, and having a really good response program. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, as, as we've discussed, so if we go back 10, 15 years, the CISO would probably report to the CIO or the CTO or even the VP of engineering in some companies. Nowadays, a lot of CISO reports report directly to the CEO or to you know another member in, in the leadership team. But in your opinion, where is this role going? What would it look like in, like, I don't know, like five, 10 years from now? Um, it, I've, I've seen, uh, when I did some research on this a couple of years ago, I saw some trending where the actual there was a reverse where the CIO was reporting to the CISO. And I think that in some cases that may be appropriate and in others, it may be just a peer um, relationship is better. But I, I think that understanding what the deliverables are for each of the C-level roles is critical to see how they fit together. 
and then making sure that the policies between each of the organizations are complementary and, and provide synergy uh, because I think security should be an enabler. Think about security being the fence around the, the area so that everybody can do what they got to do inside safely, right? Yeah. So if you have, a, you have large, large dogs, and I'm a big dog fan, so if I have a big fence backyard, my Siberian Huskies can run all around and go crazy, but they're not going to go in the neighbor's yard and go crazy. So they want to make sure they understand the rules, right? So it's the same thing. Security guy puts up the fence around there with warnings when people get close to it so that we can help prevent breaches and prevent uh, reputation harm. Because it's really hard to rebuild a reputation if once you lost it. Yeah, that's true. Um, in your opinion, where's the cybersecurity world going next? What will we see next in terms of uh, innovation? I mean, would it be more along the lines of like new products, new, new technologies, or um, or would it be more along the lines of, uh, you know, changing the CISO role or in the CISO organization or the CISO office, if you will? Well, I, it's kind of difficult because of COVID-19 factor, right? COVID has put restrictions on travel and, and how people interact and things. And a lot of times meeting with people face-to-face, -face, you read their body, you read, you know, you're able to understand better, right? But I think the CISO role... Uh, Hopefully, pretty soon, COVID-19 will be out of the way and we're, we're back to some kind of whatever the, the new uh, normal is going to be. And we will, you know, I think technology is always going to be cranking, right? So we have, uh, you know, maybe new technologies in identity. I think identity management is something that's been neglected for a long time. Not, and not, I don't mean just um, saying who Phil Burnett is. But I think machine identity. So my machine and my network knows my machine, and then I'm, uh, uh, you know, uh, authenticated to my machine, and it knows it's me. So machine to machine auth authentication. I think uh, there's some room to grow there. Uh, I think uh, the overuse of the word AI and ML, right? Artificial intelligence and machine learning. I think we really need to to ratchet down on what artificial intelligence is and how can we apply it? And really AI is a force multiplier, right? What it's designed to do is to replace a whole bunch of people because it can work 24 seven with no rest and no meal breaks and all that, right? So it, you want it to do the hard, the heavy lifting, repetitive tasks so that your skilled people, your engineers, your, your really bright cyber coder guys and even the DevSecOps guys can focus more on writing good code, protected code, analyzing code to make sure it's safe, uh, analyzing reports from vendor reports, right? Because we're all required to do a vendor management, right? If they send you, uh, let's say, for example, you uh, have a, a piece of software that you uh, lease and you, you're looking at the uh, coding report from the vendor, you got to have somebody that understands what all those terminologies mean and what all the coding differentials are. I mean, did did they protect this? Did they protect that? Was memory, is it a memory resident type thing? Is it, uh, you know, all the different aspects of writing code, right? What does it do? What's its purpose? And can it be exploited? So those are the things that we need to look at is what what how can code not only be used properly, but what can the bad guys do? Look at encryption. Encryption is a great thing until the bad guys used it from ransomware, right? 
<laughs> so now we got a good a good thing protecting my data, but now the bad guy protects it from me and I got to pay him. So we got to look for those kind of areas and be alert for somebody. Uh, I always talk about the worst guy in your network is an authorized person doing an unauthorized thing. Well, right? yeah, true. Yeah. That, that's something that's really hard to find and, and stop. And you got to, you got to find out the motivation and detect them and report on it. And that's tough. So we have to work on those areas. I mean, those are some off the top of my head, but we're, uh, we're, we're constantly trying to do that too. stay up with technology and how to, how to market it, how to monetize it, but also how to deliver it and defend it. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking about staying up with technology, in your opinion, and again, this is not something specific about your company, uh, do you think that, uh, th- th- were there any major shifts in budget planning, uh, if we compare like 2019, 2020 uh, to, tw- to 2021? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I know in our company and, and, and a lot of our brother, sister companies out there, um, a lot of projects were kicked down the road for a while because money wasn't coming in. Right. I mean, you, you sales were down, people were home, businesses were closed. So there was a huge impact in 2019 and 2020 on trying to figure out what all companies trying to figure out what, what do I look like today? Right. What's the new company look like? So I think we're starting to see now at the end of Q3 here, moving into Q4, some of those projects are starting to be discussed again. So I think in 2022, some of that stuff will flow better, providing we get COVID under control again, because that D variant looks like it's being a little bit uh, nasty right now. But I think that um, the sales cycle was you know, 18 months starting in 2019 as soon as COVID was booming. Well, now we're, we're starting to see a sales cycle, uh, you know, from three months to 18 months, depending on the size and, and opportunity. So I think everybody has to uh, regrip and figure out, uh, you know, do I use the driver or the pitching wedge, <laughs> right? <laughs> what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. And um, let's, talk a bit about vendors uh, and and you know what before that let's just add a section here can you briefly introduce your company and your offering because i'm i'm assuming you're also a vendor of some sort if sure, sure. we're we have a kind of a unique uh, mssp msp hybrid right we we uh provide i like to think of it a three-legged stool we have um technology that's rack and stack and build we have a commercial electrical arm. We also have uh, our cybersecurity group. So each of those legs work together because anything could be a land and expand type opportunity. But from our, our, our uh, rack and stack guys, they actually go and, and are involved in Amazon and Apple and building the stores and doing what they got to do and fiber and all that good stuff, as well as going in and racking and stacking uh, systems all over the world. Now we don't, we're not a vendor of like firewalls and databases and stuff, but once the customer has it and needs it moved, needs it redone, whatever, we can reconfigure and do all of that. And from cyber, we offer full SOC as a service. We offer uh, infrastructure as a service. We do a a lot of different things and we're expanding all the time. Um, But my part of the organization that I manage is the cybersecurity. So right now uh, we started uh, about three years ago 
and went from a handful, I think we had four or five initial customers. And as of yesterday, I think our, our current portfolio is a little over 110 customers. So um, we've grown 110 in, in just about two years, which is not bad when you consider 2019 almost doesn't count, right? So yeah. uh, Highwire Networks does a lot of things and our Overwatch product is, is awesome. We use the XDR tool that we uh, lease through Stellar Cyber. A lot of people out there know who Stellar Cyber is and we're close partners with them and uh, we, uh, we offer it as a service. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and thank you because this ties up with my next few questions. You know, typically uh, when speaking with CISOs, uh, uh, how do I phrase it? Let's just say the um, the amount of patience uh, most CISOs have for vendors, cold reaching out to them and cold emailing and cold calling is very very limited. Let's just say, uh, but putting yourself in the shoes of a vendor right now for a minute. What's the one promise you make to yourself not to ever do when you engage with a customer? When I engage with a customer as a vendor, you mean? Yeah, so when as I'm a vendor. Service, um, well, it's I, more I, of a th- theoretical question posed for the CISO. Yeah. So, you know, assuming they would, you know, be in the seat of the vendor for just one minute, you know, and the vendors want those CISOs to be their, you know, potential customers. Well, and, and and I know there's a lot of uh, things going on in, in that space, you know, as I mentioned, along the lines of cold calling, cold emails and stuff like that. So just assume you switch roles for a second. What would you not do? What would you d- do differently than a typical vendor? Okay. So if I was the ideal vendor, what would I do? Yeah. Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, because every situation is unique, right? Uh, what I, I think... Our salespeople need to do a better job at, and I think salespeople in general are to analyze and interpret the needs of the customer. And once you do that, you have to uh, figure out a plan that matches to what they need, right? So I think one of our tenants uh, in our uh, executive uh, briefings is the customer isn't always right, but it's always the customer. So you have to figure out what it is that you're trying to deliver and make sure that you're not forcing something on the customer that they don't want. Whatever they want, you talk to it, you educate them, you you get them to understand what they're asking for, and then you do your absolute best to deliver exactly what they're asking, right? Now, if they need education because they may not understand what that technology is, educate them, spend the time. Don't just close the sale quick and move on because an unhappy customer isn't, doesn't do anybody any good, right? So uh, I think from that aspect, but other than that, I think like for me as a CISO, I reach out uh, periodically during the QBRs that we do with each of our partners and I join those. I, I may not be able to stay the full hour, but I get on there and I make sure that the uh, the partner and the customer understand that every customer and every partner is, is important to me. And I try to get there and spend at least some time and every one of our partners has my cell phone number so that they can reach me. So I got a hundred people that could call me. And fortunately I have a good staff that, that filters all those things. But in the event that they don't feel like they're getting satisfaction, they can get to me. And if they get to me, well, you know, I'm gonna have a conversation with my staff say, Hey, <laughs> what happened here? But I will spend the time. And over this last weekend, I in fact talked to two partners who were having some issues and, 
we worked through their problems that they had. They, uh, you know, they had phishing, like I mentioned, and another one was uh, people dealing with crypto mining. How did it get in there? Well, you know, could be somebody in your company is making a little side bucks or somehow the guy got in. So we, we had to look at those and analyze that stuff. But that's the level of involvement that I get in as a CISO. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I believe you might have answered my, follow, my following question, but what is it that you are looking for in a vendor then? When I uh, interview and, and talk about probably like with the CTO, he and I both interview uh, vendors when we're trying to figure out if we can add that portfolio, that, that item to our portfolio, for example, right? And what we're looking for is somebody that, that we like to call ourselves as a trusted advisor. We want them to be trustworthy to us, to be able to tell us when we don't get something right. But we also want to make sure that they're truthful in how they do business. You know, what does their SDLC look like? What is their DR? What is their their code uh, review? And if they're a code provider, whatever it is, you know, we want to make sure that they're forthcoming and honest. So the first thing I ask for is what what is your latest uh, audit? And if they have a SOC 2, I say, well, can I get a copy? <laughs> right. If it's HIPAA, if it's NIST, what, what is your framework that you use and how are you, how do you stack up? Because I know the effort we put in for our SOC 2, so I understand what the commitment is. And it's just like in a golf game, right? Commit. You have to commit to the shot. And that's the same thing with the vendors. If we get in, if we get in the game with the vendor, we're committed to them to be a partner, to answer their questions, answer their calls, work with them to do whatever we need to do to enhance ourselves and them because they're, they're in it as a, to grow their business just like we are. So I wanted to make sure that everybody's on the, on the same page and then we're fair and open and honest with each other. Okay, thank you. And, you know, we're coming to the tail end of this episode. Let me just uh, wrap this up by asking a few last questions here. Uh, are there any, any other influential, uh, you know, colleagues or peers or any people in the industry or not in the industry, actually, for that matter, that you, that you look up to? Anyone you want to name drop here? Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I, all the usual guys, I met with Kevin Mitnick uh, a few years ago and he was my, my early on uh, hacker guy, right? He did the social engineering. I thought he was an awesome guy to talk to. I had lunch with him uh, back when I was at uh, Creative Health R1. But I, I think for, from lifetime, uh, my older brother, he, uh, he went to Vietnam and he stayed in the army reserves, became a, a command sergeant major. That's top of the top of the heap. That's an E-9 top of the enlisted. But at the same time, he went to work at the post office. And after 20 years in the post office uh, in San Jose, he became the postmaster. So he never let anything come in the way uh, of his goal. And that was to be the absolute best that he could be in everything he could to try his best. If he didn't reach the top of the mountain, that's okay. He knew he tried his best. So that's the same mantra that I use is that I want to try my absolute best to be the best CISO I can to be the best partner I can, to be the best colleague, everything I do to, to be the best that I can be. And sometimes that's not good enough. I get it. Sometimes I'm not going to get that home run. I'm not going to get the touchdown. I'm not going to get the hole in one, whatever sports analogy you want to use. But uh, I want people to understand that I give it my best all the time. Okay. Thank you. Um, any way our vendors and listeners can connect with you in a non-intrusive manner online? Uh, sure. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. They can find, uh, go through the company and, and 
and look at click on the link in Highwire Networks and an email to philip.burnett at highwirenetworks.com and reach out. I mean, I I I do carve out time every day to look through emails for vendors and partners and people looking to be to be vendors and partners with us. And I do take cold calls periodically, um, especially in certain fields and, and areas that we're looking at. And, and a lot of that, I get uh, the, the insight from the CTO on what his projects are for the next quarter. So I can look at the next quarter and say, okay, we're trying to get this technology. Then I have to figure out, okay, how do I operationalize it? Mm-hmm. So I may need help in that. We need maybe a partner or maybe somebody's trying to build an MSP. Well, we can help by partnering with them and mentoring them. We have some MSPs that are two people, right? They have one or two customers and they have two people. We mentor them, we help them, we give them great rates on products and services while they grow. And then they, they and the way that works for us is they tell their friends, right? So it's, it's word of mouth, it's reputation and it's through marketing that we actually are starting to really uh, make a name for ourselves. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's great to know. Um, now, for final question here, maybe a couple of questions, actually. If money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? And I know you mentioned Yachts before, and having known about Amazon, you would invest, uh, you know, a few bucks in that? Yeah, those would be good. But I think if, if I could could take, you know, Bill Gates' money or, uh, you know, whoever. I don't think he's uh, giving it away, though. I, I, well, I don't know. They, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty good about giving away their money. Well, yeah, I mean, but, he's yeah. been giving away a lot, to be honest. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I would like to establish a world-class program at a local high school where we had unlimited resources for uh, training, equipment, applications, whatever it was, to build a cyber lab like what I saw that uh, – EMC has in Boston. I went to their sock and saw their lab a few years ago, something like that at a high school and, and teach those, uh, the boys and girls, you know, 13 to 18. This is what it and cyber really is. Show them what red and blue teaming is about purple teaming and all of the different aspects of that to introduce them to cyber so that they understand what their presence is on the internet social media, all the things that they expose to the world, but also as a career, right? So protect themselves and their family, but also as a potential career. I would set up a world-class cyber lab and 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 invite in guest speakers. And I mean, I, I have a good friend who, who's an executive over at Stryker. I'd invite him over and say, hey, why don't you come in and give a speech? And he would be glad to do it. So there's a, a lot of stuff out there. And uh, I, I think that the, the kids would really enjoy it. Okay. Thank you for that. And with that, uh, I think we can wrap this up for today. Thank you so much for taking the time and carving out, uh, you know, a slice of your time out of your calendar and joining me in this podcast. I hope, uh, you know, I enjoyed the call and I hope our listeners would would enjoy it as well uh, and, you know, enjoy your insights and answers as well. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. 